0: This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello everybody, my name is Paul Wheelock and welcome to the preview podcast to get the inside track on the team standing in the way of Liverpool ending a memorable 2018 on a high. Should the Reds beat Arsenal on Saturday tea time, they would finish the year unbeaten at home in the league, and more importantly, it would ensure they would stay at least six points clear at the top going into 2019. And if recent history is anything to go by, Jurgen Klopp's side should come out on top. But is this Arsenal team a different beast to the one that meekly surrendered at Anfield in August last year? We got a feeling they are after their performance at the Emirates in the reverse fixture between the sides just under two months ago. But what are they like on the road, and is there any chance at all they could become the first team to take three points from Anfield since April 2017? To try to get the answers to those questions, I spoke to former Football.London editor, my five-a-side playing partner and all-round big gooner Tom Marshall-Bailey. We previewed Saturday's game, the impact of Unai Emery but what's missing from his CV as Arsenal manager the signing he believes rivals Alison Becker for the best of the season some of the problems that continue to linger from Arsene Wenger's reign the Jurgen Klopp ally who was helping revolutionise Arsenal and his thoughts on Alex Opsley-Chamberlain too You'll then hear from our Liverpool FC correspondent James Pearce after he attended Jurgen Klopp's pre-match press conference Thanks for joining me and we'll be back after the match with the post-game podcast the Blood Red Podcast from the
1: Liverpool
0: Echo. Delighted now to be joined by Tom Marshall Bailey, Audience Engagement Editor for Sport at Reach PLC, which obviously owns the Liverpool Echo. I don't think I'm outing you here, but you're also a big gooner, aren't you, mate?
2: I am, yeah. I'm, I'm, to be fair, I'm, I don't exactly conceal it very well either. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, used to work on Football. London as well, which is obviously one of our. Kind of more recent sport titles in the company as well, and um, turning two fairly soon, which is which is great. Going from strength to strength, and uh, Arsenal, Spurs, Chelsea, West Ham coverage particularly is uh, really well received. So yeah, it's um, it's a pleasure to join you.
0: We're here to talk Liverpool versus Arsenal and Anfield, and they'll probably give we give it a bit of insight here we probably have conversations like this outside Whitby Sports and Social Club every Monday after Five Side <laughs> Footy in Oh Port yes. but given it's Christmas we've decided to go for a bite to eat and something to drink and a bit and more official about, yeah a bit more official talk about it on the record because it is a big game isn't it mate this one if you look at all the kind of fixtures over Christmas before that City Liverpool game on January the 3rd yes. this is the one yeah. that stands out doesn't it
2: definitely and I think um it's interesting that we should record after the Southampton game really because I think if Arsenal continued that momentum I, I obviously there's a North London derby um, game um, in the Carabao Cup as well but I think Arsenal fans were kind of earmarking that date a little bit how they were earmarking the, the Liverpool game at home as they had a fairly easy run between losing at Chelsea and the Liverpool at home and obviously we built up all that momentum ahead of the Liverpool home game So then it felt like a real crescendo. Um, It's felt a little bit like that again, to be honest. Um, Since the Tottenham win, obviously went to Old Trafford and got a point. Given their demise, it was probably a bit disappointing we didn't take more than a point, to be completely honest. But um, yeah, I think a lot of Arsenal fans had this date again kind of sort of circled on the calendar as a a key one in our season, really. And the, The kind of key question mark of Arsenal now is... They've started to prove themselves again against some of the lesser lights, you know, f- flat track bullies, if you like. I think even last season, that was one of the things you couldn't even say for Wenger in away matches, particularly. It's probably, you know, still that question mark hangs over us a little bit, but we have proven to a degree that we can go away from home now and win games um, again. Now, he's got a big win over Tottenham at home, so that's a, a team in the top six. Top, the rest of the top five um, discounting United that we've been able to be. what's really missing from the CV now is a really notable away win and if, if Arsenal were able to go to Anfield and win it would be a hell of a statement I can't see it um, despite my eternal optimism I can't, I can't make a case for us and I think that's from a Liverpool perspective I think that's simply because I actually don't think in this game It kind of proved to me at the Emirates a little bit. um, I don't think Liverpool are now the team that will blow you away. Like they probably were when they beat us 4-0 last season. I don't think they'll do that to us at Anfield this season. And that probably owes a bit to what Emery's done. But I think it also owes to the fact that Klopp has made Liverpool a more well-rounded team. And that might sacrifice from the attacking quality a little bit. But ultimately, I think it means that Liverpool will probably come out on top in that game 2-0. That, that's my prediction. I think Liverpool wins 2-0. Um, and that's because, I think,
0: there's just a lot more solid now, really. But after that first game, the yep. Emirates, early November, before that one, I spoke to Charles Watts, guy who employed at football at London, just the Arsenal reporter. Yep. Great lad, Charles, isn't he? Obviously, you know. but he? He was a bit pessimistic about the chances that day. And I think he, among with... Many Arsenal supporters would have been surprised with just how well they played. Did it come as a surprise to you, the fact that they went toe-to-toe with Liverpool?
2: It did. um, But I also... I think because it was at the Emirates, I think if it had been at Anfield, I I, I think that's the key for me. I think there's still that slight question mark. And there was a question mark going into that game, without a doubt, because the only two games we'd lost all season by that point were... Man um, City ready. and Chelsea, yes. exactly against you know teams that you would at the start of the season certainly say were ahead of us in the race for the top um, in, for the top four um, and the title race. And I think it was definitely a question mark heading into that Liverpool game. But I felt like nighttime game, Arsenal fans kind of the City game felt a little bit like one that you almost couldn't get up for in a way because fans were probably going to the stadium on the opening day Unai Emery's first kind of competitive game in charge not really knowing what was going to happen but knowing that City are brilliant and probably because of that it was a mixture of those kind of elements that meant that it was a really subdued atmosphere and obviously Sterling scored really early on whereas by the time we reached the Liverpool game it was a big game under the lights at the Emirates we kind of got enough of a flavour of of Emory and the kind of football we were playing to know a little bit more what we were going to get, um, and it felt like I mean the atmosphere that night was brilliant, probably only eclipsed by the North London derby, which I'm sure we'll probably come onto at some point. Um, but yeah, for me that that it felt significantly atmosphere that night, and it it drove the team on. I think I, I don't think they would have been able to kind of muster up that late surge and saw Lacazette get the equaliser but that was an interesting one with Liverpool that night because again you you expect Liverpool to go to the Emirates and kind of blow Arsenal away as you know last season in the 3-0 obviously Liverpool had that defensive vulnerability then that they probably don't have now and as a result they didn't let this game get quite as chaotic as last season's was. But what, I mean, Liverpool battered us for the first half in, the, in that Emirates game last season in the 3 All. Um, and then it was just a mad 10 15 minutes at the start of the second half. Um, I, I think even at Anfield, I am prepared to be proven wrong, famous <laughs> last words and all that. But um, I don't think they'll be quite as
0: quick, quick out the traps as they probably have been against us in previous games at Anfield. But if they do pick up that. Head of steam that they, they have shown in recent games, certainly the first half now against United, most of the game against Napoli. The big question is can Arsenal sustain that? Because let's face it, towards the end of Wenger's reign, he had some harrowing times downfield, didn't he? When he was completely blown away. If, if Liverpool do get going, how's Arsenal's defence looking this season?
2: Well, that, that's the kind of the, the big question mark against us still as a team. I think there are still some kind of problems from the Wenger that plague us defensively a little bit. I think Lucas Torreira has been an absolutely unbelievable addition to our team. Um, not in, not just from a defensive perspective, I think, I think he's improved so much of the team, it's quite remarkable. I mean, it's been noticeable, one of the themes that I've noticed throughout the course of this season is how much better we've been when Torreira and Xhaka have been in midfield as a two, which was the case when we played Liverpool at home. Um, Xhaka's had a difficult time at Arsenal so far, but in that Liverpool game he was absolutely brilliant. Him and Torreira completely set the tone for that performance. And at Southampton, Xhaka had to go into a back three, such is the kind of nature of our defensive um, injury problems at the moment. And Torreira, Torreira's performance. Interestingly, was kind of affected a little bit playing next to Genduzi, I think he almost felt he had to do a bit more minding because Gendouzi, really good player. I think he's really, really interesting talent. I think he's going to be a kind of a mainstay of our midfield for years to come. But um, there's definitely some naivety to his game defensively, and I think Xhaka and Torreira as a pairing look a lot more solid. And it'll be interesting to see if he persists with we a back three, actually, because it felt like whilst Monreal was out, that was a tactic he used to kind of combat the deficiencies that Kolasinac has as a left back. It's really weird with Kolasinac because as a left wing back, he looks completely comfortable, um, probably because he doesn't have to track back as much. As a left back, he looks like a fish out of water. I mean, against Wolves, when we drew one all which was p- particularly fortunate in that um, unbeaten run, to be honest. He, he was given an absolute um, pasting by Adama Traore and Cavallero. Uh, it was Cavallero in the first half, and then I think Adama Traore came on after the break, and he, he really struggled. And I think he looked at that performance and subsequently felt, I need a back three to combat that. And he's persisted with it ever since, and... It's kind of a, a catch-22 situation for us now because we've not got enough defenders in some respects to fill a three. I mean, the, the fact that Kishoni had to play 90 minutes at Southampton, he played 72 minutes in like, over six months and he had to come through 90 minutes in a really physically demanding game at Southampton. And I cannot imagine for a minute that was the plan for Emery. But staffy... Suspended and was also carrying a a bit of a niggle. Socrates was suspended. Obviously, Bellerin and Lichsteiner both went off injured, which has kind of limited our defensive options even more. But in the game, it meant that he only had one other sub, meaning, and he had barely any defensive options on the bench. So Koscielny kind of had to just play on. Um, And the fixtures over Christmas are obviously piling up. I, I think there are still a lot of a lot of kind of problems from the Wenger era that need ironing out in that defence ultimately um, I think there are players that have developed well under Emery I think Hector Bellerin's a good example of that I think a lot of Arsenal fans had kind of given up on him a little bit last season lost cause kind of felt that his heart wasn't really in it anymore but he's been one player that's been revitalised under Emery but I still think Southampton was a case in point I felt the opening goal that Danny Ings scored I'm sure Liverpool fans to be happy for me mentioning him um, he's he developed a really bad knack of Bellerin and not being able to get out to a winger and close down the cross he seems to it, it seems to almost been something that's either coached into him or a really bad habit that's not been coached out of him he obviously when he was kind of coming up through the academy played quite a lot as a winger And at times you can see that he's a winger playing as a right back. He's come on leaps and bounds, but his inability to go out to the ball and kind of get out to the the ball at source and stop crosses has kind of really affected us at times. Someday was a, a prime example so
0: there's still a lot of improvement that needs to be done in, the, in that defence as Emery said a lot of times this season yeah, You forget that he's only been here since the summer but you compare it to say like Man United you know, the troubles they've had You know from the transition to Fergie as we were recording this podcast Jose Mellinho's just been sacked but it seems to have been quite smooth at Arsenal and I don't think anyone was predicting that Was they, given how long Wenger had been there
2: No, not at all and I think what I said about the City game was Really interesting, actually, because we've, as as fans, kind of gone into certain fixtures with preconceptions of exactly what's going to happen. So Liverpool away last season, case in point, having lost three-one there last season, you, you you kind of were approaching each match with a real sense of dread. I think that's been one of the most refreshing things about Emery's reign so far. Is and it's you know it could be any new manager, it's not necessarily because it's Unai Emery, but. Because he was a bit of a, a bit of an unknown quantity coming into this country. I mean, we heard a lot about how he, he preferred a pressing style. It doesn't seem quite a, as aggressive a pressing style, and that might be down to the personnel that he's got. Um, you know, a lot of people have said this, but he's, he's probably in a similar situation to where Klopp was when he joined Liverpool, in that he didn't have necessarily all of the components that he, he needed and wanted straight away it's going to take him three or four transfer windows and that's an exciting prospect for us if we're able to get back in the champions league and i think that's a really kind of crucial thing for us is you know we've gone and won some domestic trophies in recent years ultimately the board's message to emery is get us back in that top 4 it's that it's that kind of way of approaching games about going oh we're going to Old Trafford we're, gonna, we're just going to fold we're going to completely you know just give the game away to a stupid defensive error and you know there's still elements of that the Southampton game as I mentioned was a you know, good example of that but there are also games that we're going into now thinking well do you know what let's go and see what Anfield holds for us or let's go and see what um, you know, Spurs away holds for us or whatever it might be because we don't have those same preconceptions I think that's helped him to a degree Um, as I say I think you can see differences in how we play at times you can see elements of the pressing game but it feels as if it's going to take him a fair bit of time to really get the squad that he wants and really get a style of play that he wants across to them that said if you'd have told me at the start of the season that by near enough the halfway point of the season, we would be three points off the top four, I'm kind bit in your hand off because I could not have envisaged how bad Man United would be. Um, the fact that they are, in my mind, practically, I mean, 11 points off the top four, there are three results swing off us, and then a four result swing off the top four. That, Even at this point, I think that's too much. Um, I'm, I'm a firm believer in you have to be averaging about two points on average a game by the halfway point if you want to be in the top four. If we were able to be on 38 points after 19 games, I think that's setting you up for the second half of the season to at least be in with a shout. And I think that's a, you know, a pretty phenomenal achievement from Emory to be completely honest, given this was a team that was... You know, cast a drift in 6th place last season and battling Burnley quite late on into the season for you know getting in that top 6 um, to now be a team that have got a, a realistic chance of going over the top 4 it's still going to be tough and I think January recruits are probably going to be key um, if we're going to get over the line but I think there's enough vulnerability in both Chelsea and Spurs defensively to make me think that it's possible
0: Predating um, Henry's arrival, I know the club got ahead of recruitment now, haven't they? Sven Mislatad we got that right. Correct. Name? There you Correct. go. Even after a beer, uh, <laughs> and he's an interesting one, isn't he, for, for Liverpool fans? So he's got an association with Jurgen Klopp.
2: Yeah. Worked yeah. Worked together at then. Yeah. So he's kind of been nicknamed GoldenEye uh, <laughs> Sorry, not GoldenEye Eye. Diamond Eye. That's what he's been nicknamed. Oh,
0: he's, um, he's, he's, he's had some good players I for his talent compared. spotting.
2: I mean, Gendouzi is a is a prime example. I. I'd never heard of him. Uh, I'd never heard of Lucas Torreira. If I'm being completely honest, um, kind of had a bit of knowledge about Burn Leno, Socrates, and um, I'm trying to think of our other signing, Stefan Lichtsteiner. Um, I think probably had enough prior knowledge of those. Certainly, Leno and Socrates felt like mislentat signings. It's been, a, you know, that bit of an ongoing joke that he was probably speaking to the club about getting Mkhitaryan and then he swapped for Sanchez as a former Dortmund player. They went and got Aubameyang, they went and got Socrates. So he's clearly utilising the links that he's got Got there still. Um, given how well they're performing this season, I wouldn't mind him going back to them in January and <laughs> seeing who he can get off them. Um, but I think it's going to be the signings like Gendouzi, like Torreira, that are going to be so key for us in the next few seasons because that's why it's so integral that we get back into the Champions League because if Emery is, is going to be able to build the squad that he wants he's going to need top quality players and unfortunately the longer that we remain in the Europa League the more we become associated with that competition and as a result we become a, a, a less attractive prospect for players to join and as much as Wenger got mocked you know, for the whole top four as yeah, a trophy yeah. comment. He did, didn't he? Up until very later. Absolutely. You know, he consistently assured top four finishes and if you said to probably Tottenham and Chelsea right now, would you want that or a or a trophy, maybe Tottenham fans and this is absolutely intended as a dig at Tottenham, but <laughs> they would probably bite your hand off for a trophy and rightly so. Um Chelsea Would probably argue that they'd want to be in the top four, and I can understand that because you need to be. You know, Liverpool have learned that as well that by getting into that competition on a regular basis, you can attract top quality players. And I think that's why there's been a whole debate over, you know, should Arsenal prioritise cup competitions or really go for the top four and throw all their eggs in one basket a little bit. And I think you'd have to say that that's the way we're going to have to go if we are going to be serious about certainly competing for a title anytime soon because the defence needs some pretty major surgery I'd suggest. Monreal um, will probably get a new deal I think but you know he's no spring chicken Koscielny he's not getting any younger Bellerin is probably the only player in that back line that you can realistically say is, is going to be a long term part of that defence Leno you know, perhaps is the, the goalkeeper as well it's why I get identifying players like Gendouzi and Torreira before they become more noticeable. I mean asked for Torreira, particularly Arsenal, had done a lot of the groundwork on the deal before he went to the World Cup, and it's a good job they did because he was brilliant. He was brilliant at the yeah. World Cup. Exactly, um, Genduzzi was really under the radar, um, and actually, the interesting thing with him was that the idea very much when he signed was that he would be he was being earmarked for the future Torreira was very much someone that could come in and make an immediate impact but Emery clearly saw a lot about Gendouzi in pre-season that he liked I mean the fact that Mohamed Elneny hasn't played a minute of Premier League football after 17 games is, is quite frightening really for his kind of sort of future prospects at Arsenal um, Genduzzi's come straight into the team, made a real impression. As I say, I think there is some naivety to his game still, but that's probably to be expected from a, a 19-year-old that's come from the French second division, and he's you know playing in games against Manchester City on his first team debut. Um, but if Tak can continue to kind of deliver that type of signing, and those are the players that you know we can spot before any clubs get their hands on them. That's where I think his real value is at the moment. Um, we're going to be you know, outgunned on the wages front and on the transfer fee front for a lot of players right now, and that's, that's how it is. Um, you know, there will be players, I'm sure, Nicolas Pepe at Lille, one that's been talked about as a potential recruit in January, be amazed if we got him, because the level of interest in him is just continuing to rise, and he's probably looking at the kind of interest in him from different clubs and thinking... Why would I go to a team that are currently competing in the Europa League when you know I could go to a team that are in you know dining at Europe's top table? And I think Torreira particularly.
1: Will be held up. It's
2: probably an interesting debate to be had about whether Torreira or alisson has been the sign of the season, but I don't think you can deny either of their impacts on on their respective teams. The fact that United paid 52 million for Fred and, and Torreira cost 26 million says it all, really. I mean, he's he's so integral to everything that's good about the team. He, as I said earlier, not only has he given us a bit more defensive stability. I think it's actually given us an injection of quality going forwards as well. I don't think he's got quite the praise that he deserves for his, his ability on the ball, actually. Um, which is probably true of Angola Kante a little bit at Chelsea. He's actually a very good player on the ball, but you, you kind of associate with him with his more sort of destructive qualities. And I think Torreira, you know, has that. I and mean, he put a really snide little challenge in on Deli Ali during the North London Derby, <laughs> which. I particularly love for obvious reasons, but it's that it's that, kind of, it's that kind of game management that I think he's got that our midfield has just been so desperately lacking for so long and it, it gives you that bit more trust and faith in our midfield now. Um, and you know, hats off to it tough for going out and finding. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.
0: One midfielder who won't be playing on the 29th of December, not for Arsenal because he signed for Liverpool last season and not for Liverpool because sadly he's got that horrible injury. Just why I've got, you know, there. What, what kind of thoughts were you having when you've seen Chamberlain performing to the level he was, particularly in that second half of last season and Liverpool's run towards the Champions League Huge final. frustration. Yeah. Although, I'll be honest here
2: and say that I was actually... I was always, when he was at Arsenal, I was always convinced that he should be a right winger or maybe a left winger because what I thought about him when I watched him and again, you look at what Klopp's done with him and you think maybe this came down to the management and coaching that he was getting at Arsenal. But when I watched him in central midfield, I saw a player that wanted to run with the ball and that's difficult to do in central midfield against the very top teams out wide you've got a bit more licence to do that and actually I felt his best qualities were when he was driving at full backs with the ball when he was committing people when he was you know trying a trick here and there and offloading the ball by crossing it or playing one twos around the box felt like that's where he probably delivered a lot of his best performances for Arsenal actually in the centre of midfield I mean he had a really unfortunate knack at Arsenal and Granit Xhaka has almost taken the mantle from him since Chamberlain left but it's a game that sticks in my memory very, very well for horrendous reasons. When we lost 3-1 to Olympiacos in the Champions League first leg, 14-15 season, I think, um, in the round of 16, we were 2-0 down going into stoppage time, and he pulled one back with a great individual goal, and then he gave the ball away straight from their kickoff. We won the ball back, gave it to them, they raced through and got a third And it dawned on me, as that third goal went in, that we were actually in a better position at 2-0 down than we were at 3-1 down. And he'd been directly responsible for both goals. And that, in microcosm, kind of summed up his Arsenal career a little bit. He had a really unfortunate knack of every error he made seemed to get punished in the grand manner with a goal. And a lot of that came from playing in central midfield and taking too many risks and touches on the ball. He didn't look like a player to me that could play one or two touch in a way that Cazorla could when he was with us. That Jacques, you know, Jack you know, Jack Wilshere is someone that likes to commit players, but you'd say that he's probably more of a, a technical player than Shaquille, or certainly that's how it appeared to me. And that's why I've been... you know really impressed with what Klopp's done with him at Liverpool he's, he's probably looked at his performances and said actually I don't want to take that drive and determination out of your game has got great pace great athleticism but actually that really works for how Klopp wants to play and his, you know, his team's in the middle of the park it's why Navigator you think on paper he's going to be a really really good signing for Liverpool same with Alden because they've got that ability to get around the park, but got the technical quality that kind of underlies all that. I think Klopp's clearly worked quite closely in the time he has had with Chamberlain to just make him more aware of when to give, when to go. I think that, that's the key thing for him, and that's probably what he needed. You wouldn't say that he'd get in that front three, i say Chamberlain. If I'm being honest, I mean, when he comes back, he's going to find that he's, there's a lot of competition for places in that midfield as well. But I mean, you'd have to say the front three places at Liverpool are pretty much secure. I know Shaqiri's been a you know a revelation since signing, and again, that's probably a problem for Chamberlain because now, if Klopp does go with a four-two-three-one, Chamberlain's probably thinking maybe one of those free spaces behind the main front man's where I can see myself operating because you wouldn't necessarily put him down as being in a deep line too um, because as I say he likes to get on the ball he likes to run with it C- commit people yeah um, but he'll probably come back and there'll be an element of frustration I'm sure at seeing frustration but also delight that the team are doing so well but maybe some frustration that Shakiri's come in and hit the ground running like he has but
0: um, it's, uh, it's a difficult pill to swallow let's put it that way Arsenal and Liverpool, long-term rivals, but even as an Arsenal fan, feel you a lot of respect for what Klopp is doing at Liverpool?
2: Absolutely. And, you know, I, I, I probably aim this criticism at Tottenham a lot, so it, w- it would be remiss of me to not aim it at Liverpool, but they do need to win a trophy. There needs to be something tangible to what Klopp's doing because he's doing an outstanding job. The, the number of players that he's improved, I mean even to the point where I was watching Nathaniel Klein's performance quite closely against Man United for a player who's been that out in the wilderness to just come in and deliver a performance like that 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 owes to the manager putting in place a system that works that you can just take a piece out and move another piece in and it all just comes together and works I think he's done a phenomenal job in a short space of time he's obviously had a good budget to work with but he's obviously got the club back into the Champions League and that's led to that budget so that's a narrow minded criticism for me but he has to there has to be a point where Liverpool wins something to back it up and it could be this season I think that they are really in with the shot to be to be this close to, well this close it, to be at the top of the table ahead of City in a, such a kind of closely fought title race at this point is a phenomenal achievement because the pace they're setting is themselves is frightening Um, I do think the challenge now is is a slightly different one in that chasing City and being chased by City is a a slightly different dynamic that they're probably not used to as a team and something that they're going to have to Kind of probably deal with because I, I think they are in it for the long haul. I did back City at the start of the season and I probably should stick with them as a result but I, I think Liverpool will absolutely push them all the way and I think it, it wouldn't surprise me if they ended up with another trophy this season because I can't see how a team can perform consistently this well against top opposition and not win something it, because that very rarely
0: happens. Just the final one, we're recording this before Boxing Day, obviously we're going to have families, things on, so we've recorded this preview a little bit earlier. Liverpool at home on Boxing Day against Newcastle, so we'd imagine they get the job done there, draw it at the very worst. So they could be going into that Arsenal yep. game unbeaten at home for a very long time, certainly at home this season. Can you envisage anything other than a Liverpool win, or could Arsenal go there and, and shot Liverpool?
2: They, they, they really relish these big games at anfield I mean, I would... I would grab a point and run out of there as, as soon as I could. To be honest with you, I, I think that would be a remarkable result, and that, that's a sign of where Liverpool are at now. They are a team that you you expect to win those home games against the top teams. That's that's almost never been the not never been the worry, but has seldom been the worry um, under Klopp against the top teams. It's it's actually been when they've cut you know a home defeat to Swansea. Is, to what you don't expect I actually think because they're so much better now defensively they're in a position where they come out on top in those kind of games against the, the less so-called lesser teams in the Premier League and they will get over the line somehow and it will be because they've got that individual but also collective quality up front but they've got a rock at the back in Van Dijk they've got a keeper who is inspiring confidence in that back four I mean you know, Trent Alexander Arnold and, and Gomez have been brilliant this season, but, you know, they're, they're injured. The likes of Lovren have come in, and it doesn't seem to have, like, particularly unsettled Liverpool in the way that, alright, you know, our injury crisis is, you know, fairly big by comparison, but it's unsettled us immensely. Um, it doesn't seem like that's going to be the case for Liverpool, and I would love to predict that we will get out of this out of Anfield with someone but I just can't see it because I think as good as we are going forward it wouldn't surprise me if we scored I cannot see a way in which we we keep Liverpool out and I think as I said I think they're far better positioned this season to prevail 1-0 2-0 2-1 something like that and it wouldn't surprise me if it's a narrow game like that because I think We'll probably surprise Liverpool at the end of this and I think as a result Klopp will now know that we're a we're a serious team again and someone that, you know, hopefully can't just be swatted aside in those kind of games again but I do I do worry that they will just have a bit too much for us, so I'm gonna say two 0 to Liverpool. Tom. Which I'm sure your listeners will be delighted with. <laughs> yeah.
0: Happy Christmas, mate. Thank you very much for this insight you give us on Arsenal. And you. Merry Christmas to all the fans as well.
2: The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.
1: Well, we've just heard from Jürgen Klopp, the head of Liverpool's final game of 2018. Arsenal are the visitors to Anfield on Saturday night. And the big news is that former Gunners midfield Alex oxlade Chamberlain is uh, way ahead of schedule as he uh, as he looks to make his comeback after that horrible knee injury that he suffered against Roma in the Champions League towards the back end of, of last season. Klopp uh, confirming that Oxlade-Chamberlain's already out on the pitch uh, doing little sessions on his own away from the, 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 uh, the main squad but Klopp uh, ad- admitting that uh, if everything goes to plan then he will be back with the main group. By late February, early March, the Liverpool manager said, and Klopp increasingly confident that Oxay Chamberlain will be available to play a part during the Premier League title running, which is a, a huge, huge boost. You know, you go back to the start of the season when, uh, you know, the uh, the devastating news emerged that, you know, he'd, he'd pretty much done everything you possibly could to his knee. Oxay Chamberlain, Liverpool effectively ruled him out of this entire 2018 19 season, said, you know, if he was able to get back before May, uh, it would be a bonus, but it was unlikely. But, you know, I think it shows what a top professional uh, Oxlade Chamberlain is, how dedicated he's been to his uh, his rehab and the fact that he's surrounded by uh, absolutely top-level medical and sports science staff here because uh, he has, uh, has, has kind of confounded the medics in terms of how quickly he's been able to recover, already working out on the field. And, you know, Klopp said we don't want to push him too far because, uh, you know, he... He's come so, lot, so far in a short period of time, but a fantastic boost. You know, I think I think realistically, you'd have to say you'd, you know he'd probably have to have two, three weeks absolute minimum full training before he was thrown into a Premier League battle. But you know that does raise the prospect that before the end of March, we might see Oxlade-Chamberlain back in a Liverpool shirt, and uh, that would just you know be a, a perfect fillip at a time when uh, you know if everything goes to plan, Liverpool. Are going to be on the brink of achieving something truly special in terms of the Arsenal game. Klopp saying that James Milner, who of course uh, has, has been hampered by a hamstring injury, he won't be eligible. He won't be available for the visit of Arsenal. But Klopp is hopeful that uh, Milner will be fit to face his former club at the Etihad when Liverpool face Man City on January the third. Apart from that, um, no other team news. Klopp, uh, you know, saying that Moreno. And Solanke still carrying knocks. Of course, he does. You know, even with Milner being out, he does have options to freshen up that midfield. He went with a, a two-pronged midfield of Henderson and Wijnaldum uh, the other day. You know, he could bring back Fabino Of course, came off the bench and and scored against Newcastle on Boxing Day. Or he could turn to Naby Keita. Um, so you know, this is a time of year where I think you know, Klopp was always going to ring the changes. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if we if we see a, a few for this one club. Full of respect for Unai Emery and the job he's done. Of course, Arsenal were the last team to stop Liverpool winning in the Premier League. Uh, it was a long, long time ago now, back in November at at, uh, at the Emirates. In truth, Liverpool should have won that night. It was uh, you know an Abamyang equaliser late on that, that denied them. I think before that, Liverpool had hit the post twice. Salio Mane had a perfectly good uh, good goal disallowed as well. Uh, James Milner ultimately firing Liverpool in front but they weren't able to hold on but um, Klopp again very keen to keep a lid on expectations and pressure here of course Liverpool in an unbelievable position six points clear at the top of the Premier League table having enjoyed the best first half to a season in the club's history but Klopp reiterating that uh, you know, in the minds of his and certainly his players in the dressing room that nothing has been achieved yet. That There's still a long, long way to go. It is only half-time, he said, in this title race. And he said, don't expect Arsenal to raise the white flag. He said uh, Liverpool are going to have to be at their absolute best for this one if they're going to sign off 2018 on a high. So uh, a real, real buzz around this place, as you can imagine. Liverpool going into this one on the back of eight straight wins And uh, it's all about just maintaining that momentum as uh, they look to sign off 2018 with a victory over the Gunners.
0: You've been listening to the Blood Red
2: Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.